Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a podcast from the Mercantile Library where readers have gathered since 1835 to connect, debate, and discuss. Today, we're launching a new segment, The Lit Review, an irreverent discussion of literature led by one of the library's most avid readers, Virginia Anderson. Joining Virginia to discuss the novels of Sally Rooney, an Irish writer being hailed as the voice of the millennial generation, are Curtis Scribner and Joshua Chowdhury. And be warned, there are spoilers ahead. My name is Virginia. I am a Mercantile Library member. Uh, I try to read as much as I can. Sometimes that's a lot, sometimes that's a little. Um, And obviously I'm an egomaniac because I had this idea for a podcast because I thought people would want to listen to me talk for a while. So um, what is this podcast? This podcast has been affectionately dubbed The Lit Review. Why The Lit Review? Uh, First and foremost, because it'll be literary. Uh, And secondly, uh, because we might get lit. We're all here with a adult beverage and we're ready to get into it. So uh, the basic premise, we're thinking it'll be like your book club, but every everybody actually read the book and they want to talk about it, <laughs> which doesn't always happen if you're like any book club that I've been a member of. Um, so it's just going to be an irreverent approach uh, to literature. Um, we're going to talk about what everybody's reading now, be part of the zeitgeist, Uh, We might revisit some old classics. We're just going to see what works. So uh, as I already mentioned, my name is Virginia. I'm joined today by Joshua and Curtis. Um, Fellows, thank you for being here. If you don't mind introducing yourself. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Curtis Scribner. I'm a big fan of the Mercantile Library. I read both Rooney books and participated in the book readings there. And um, I work downtown here at P&G in their legal department. Great. Joshua? And I'm Joshua Chowdhury. I, too, am a member of the Mercantile, although I don't know if I have paid my dues this year. Oh, I'm oh no. a big fan of Sally Rooney, and luckily I've been asked to speak, even though I may be a lapsed member of the library. Well, thank you both for being here. Um, what we're discussing today, we've got a little preview. Uh, it'll be Sally Rooney's Normal People. Um, so right out of the gate, guys, what did you think? Did you like this book? Did you hate this book? Why? why not? So I'll say like general, just my general enjoyment of it. It's not a type of book that I would normally pick if it wasn't part of a book study or a book club. Like I don't typically pick up books that are about relationships and those things, just not what I normally gravitate towards. But I read it and I couldn't put it down. And I don't know if it was the style of writing, the story, but it, it I really, really was engrossed and I actually did really enjoy it. So Good. Yeah, I loved both of her books um, that we read. I really felt some resonance with the emotional experiences of some of the characters, and I'm usually not an emotional reader. Um, it's more of a connection on like a intellectual level rather sure. than emotional level, so it really appealed to me in that way. Yeah, I also really liked it. Um, and I was just talking to somebody before we started about how I can really appreciate somebody who can write a book that's like, good, interesting, intellectual, you can get something out of it, but it's like 225 pages. You're like, yes, like you pick it up and you're like, okay, I can actually read this book. (laughs) So that's not exactly um, a very intelligent response to that, but um, I can appreciate that. But I think there there is a lot to respect in that. Like every sentence has a purpose. Right. Sure. Like, and it's, and you, and so, and she can communicate to Josh's point, she can communicate like strong feelings and emotions in a very simplistic 
Yeah. It seems like a very like simple set yeah. structure. It's not over overwritten, and so you get it's, it's. I mean, it's a whirlwind in yeah. that two hundred plus page. Yeah. Pages she makes so. it count. Right. Which I guess is probably harder to write something shorter that's impactful than big, big, long book. Right. Um, what did you guys think? So, as you mentioned, I think, Joshua, you said uh, relationships. It's about relationships, and Curtis, you probably said that as well. Um, what did you think about the central relationship in the book, the relationship between Marianne and Connell? What were your feelings on their relationship with one another? I think it was a recognizable relationship where you have one person or both people who are trying to find someone to hold on to, like they're both very lost and disconnected from their respective communities at different times, like Connell's very popular in their hometown and Marianne's not, and then they have that reversed experience. So I think having the kind of emotional mirroring of their experiences in those two places was interesting to me and it made it more understandable on why they were drawn to each other outside of the fact that Connell's mom was cleaning Marianne's house and he was serving a purpose for her just like the mom was serving a purpose for Marianne's family. Yeah. I I felt like it was a relatable relationship, especially at the beginning when they're both in high school and like you mentioned, like he's popular and she's not and like, not that that's a trope, but I feel like that's a real situation and people of that age like I remember being in high school and there were the cool kids and the not cool kids and it was hard to cross those uh, lines and relationships friendships and and other things so I, I agree I feel like that I could see that and it felt real yeah and I appreciated that it wasn't twee like John Green or a YA novel which I've seen some people try to make those comparisons in in the plot of this book of yeah. it's just a dressed up white. It wasn't a novel. fairy tale either. Yeah, I mean, not at all. They both have really difficult emotional experiences. And I mean, Marianne's actual like physical experience of living with her family is traumatic. Yeah. I think that's probably an understatement for her. Um, so I think what you would see in a YA novel is probably more treacly and surface level, whereas this had a little more, I think, significantly more nuance than what you would see in one of those books. And that's an unfair comparison that some readers are making. Yeah. That's a good point. What do you think, Curtis? I mean, I, I, th I like the, the reality of it. And you see, like, these young, immature characters in their high school, you know, who are dealing with those different social influences and pressures. And then at the same time, like, having this, like, becomes a pretty deep relationship and trying to work through it. So, that, you know, they're not fully emotionally developed yet. You know, I think that they generally want to do the right thing, but they make some poor decisions based on societal and cultural influences, which I think is very realistic. I also think the, the and we, you've alluded to it, like the economic disparity between the two characters is kind of an interesting um, perspective that the book takes, where you have Connell, who's you know comes from a, a relatively lower middle class family, and then you have her, she's like from this this wealthy family, and that that adds an, an additional like interesting dynamic. Yeah. Did you feel, I mean, obviously their relationship is set up one way and then it evolves over the course of the novel. I, I felt like at the beginning I was rooting for them and then like, kind of like, oh, like they're well matched, like I hope these two crazy kids can make it work. And then I 
felt differently as the course of the relationship progressed. And it, it seemed like uh, Connell had the upper hand the entire time. And unfortunately, he did not behave in a way that I felt was appropriate, I, I guess. I, I, I just felt like ultimately I was like, girl, you deserve better. Like, you can do better than this. Like, I know you've got this whole crazy path, but like, let him go, move on. Like, it, it's going to be okay. But she never seemed to well, get she out had, of it. She had a shot at the end, right? He's gone. She has her independent life in Ireland now. Maybe things work Maybe. out for her. I mean, but that was more, he was, I felt like that was, again, he was just like, they're back, they're in like a good place, and he's like, well, I'm just going to continually disappoint you. So, yeah, I'm going to New York. See ya. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, maybe, I guess maybe he had the, the, the constant upper hand, but there was a big part of the book where, you know, he was going through his depression, he was dealing with the issues too. Like, I, I guess. I agree. I, I'm not, I don't think, I, I wrote in my notes, who is the villain? I don't know if Connell is a villain. I think that's kind of a strong word. Social class is the villain. <sighs> that could be. Elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, um, with Connell's specific, well, both of the characters, I think there's some tropes um, from other stories about how someone coming from a lower class can rise up and make themselves better and find more opportunities, whereas someone who is born into... Um, the upper classes is sort of not languorous, but you've been born with all of these advantages and you have the money. You have the privilege of yeah, choice. The, where yeah, you the privilege can... of choice for sure. I agree with that. And she's just able to develop maybe her aesthetic or personal interests, whereas Connell is more focused on how do I make my way from an economic or a professional yeah. standpoint. I think one thing, and we were going to get to this and discuss um, Sally, Sally Rooney herself has been, I guess, proclaimed by, I don't know, somebody who knows something about books, like as the first great millennial writer. Um, and so what that means, I don't know, we can talk about that. But I think one of the things that's interesting, and I am a millennial, um, I think not to assume too much, but both of you guys are... I'm on the upper edge. Okay, you're cut. I'm, I'm on the gray, on the cut. You can claim it when you yeah, want think, to and I'm deny it when a, you... I'm a zinial, technically. Okay. I'm actually new. silent generation, like me, me and Joe Biden. <laughs> we grew up around the same time period. Well, you look great today, right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is, and you mentioned it the, with Connell, the depression. And I think millennials, especially with... September 11th and the financial crisis and all these things that have happened, um, our generation and talking about mental illness and how we're suffering from these things that were taboo, that people didn't ever talk about and that have always been there. Um, and especially, you know, Connell obviously experiences depression, but his friend committing suicide. Um, that was this book, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting them confused. Yeah, it's actually like the peer pressure thing. Like it, yeah. His friend was like the popular guy. And yes. Some illusion that like his maintaining that image, maintaining was that too much for was him. Too much for him. And yeah. so I think like as a the great millennial writer, if that's really what she is, which I mean I think she's a, she's a great writer, but um, I I think that is so topical and so such a something that we're talking about now because it's part of our life and experience now. 
Um, so I found that particularly engaging. Like I thought that was interesting. And I mean, that's a story on the news. I feel like we see a lot, these people with suicide and depression, it's just, it's something that's so out there. And I don't know that anybody has really touched, I'm, people have, but touched on it the way that she has in this book. I think, I think that's good. what's good. I mean, I don't know like whether she's, the representative of the millennials or not, like it's hard to peg anyone that has that. Like I've also heard it called be called the the um the Salinger of the Snapchat generation, uh, which I think is like an interesting uh, also yeah. description of her. But one thing I think she does well, better than anyone I've ever read, is like her writing in like internet voice. Yeah, I was gonna. So the fact that she takes like yes. these emails, these texts, and it. it flows very naturally into the conversation. It doesn't feel it, forced. It feels, like, she it, clearly... It, it feels, like, yeah, part of how... a digital she, native she, or whatever. She grew up with it, like, which is... Millennials are, like, the first generation yeah. to grow up with that always being in their life. And so it just seems part of the natural dialogue, where, like, if, you know, someone like, in their 80s tried to pull that off, right. it, would, it wouldn't seem as natural. Yeah, I which, agree with so, so that's something that I think is... I've never seen anyone be able to pull that off as well as she, as she does. I mean, her email correspondence is so natural. Right. I agree. That, so I think that's impressive. And I think that partially also puts her into that. That makes her. That box maybe a little bit. Yeah. But even, I don't even know if it is a box. But yeah. Because I think, I think she, I think sometimes even putting her, I mean, I think the world of her as a writer. I think she's incredibly talented, brilliant, brilliant writer. And I think they, they kind of want to put her in a category. And I actually think the category, she, she does so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um that I don't like to necessarily put her in that, but yeah. I see why people go there. Yeah, I think people are always, like, struggling to categorize things, especially someone like her. Where she's so young. Yeah, she's, she's young, and herself. she's yeah. writing in this way that, with the email and all that sort of stuff that people haven't really seen before. That's, like, how do we define this? Which, yeah. I guess, is human nature. But right. um, I would agree. I think she does a great job with sort of speaking like people. And the email and the text is so, like, part of the natural... Yeah, it's fully integrated. It's not, like, a gimmick. Right. Yeah. Right. Very good. Um, Do you guys think Connell goes to New York, pursues his MFA? I think he goes, and then they get together at the end. I think they're... I'm kidding. What is is the end? I'm just saying that. Uh, No, I... um, yeah, I think he goes. Yeah, I think he does and, too. And I think it's and I think it's kind of maybe they maintain email contact. You know, if there's a second book, it's all email conversations. Or but Snapchat, but contact. or Snapchat or TikTok. Maybe TikTok, they make some yeah. TikTok videos. But it, but it, but it, but it slowly, it slowly fades, fades away. away. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he goes. He's had not more agency throughout the book, but he seems to have a better sense of like an individual self independent of other people and Marianne just doesn't have that. Yeah. Like she feels a great dependency on others and not that it's a negative, like being connected with other people is clearly a positive and there's things that there are decisions that Connell makes throughout the book that reflect maybe poorly on him yeah. because he's not as connected to other people. Like he's willing to set Marianne aside or he's willing to cause offense to others when he's focused on himself. Yeah. I felt like he was... I don't know. There were just so many... I felt like there, both sides just looked like a lot of bad decisions in this book. The characters made a lot of bad decisions, and 
I was a young person once. Um, I'm not in my 20s anymore, and I'm really happy about that because I remember thinking, like, and obviously when they're teenagers, like, you know, you think you are, you've got it all figured out and, like, whatever, and um, looking back, I'm like, oh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And clearly they don't either. And it is obvious throughout their relationship. And they mature, but it's still, I'm like, gosh, you know, I just, you you learn something new and you, you keep evolving, you keep changing. And so it was some of the things that was hard for me. I'm like, I, I can't go back there. I don't want to remember what it was like being 20, being, trying to figure out your whole life, you know. I don't know. But there definitely is, like, that is one part of the myth. It's interesting. Everyone can relate, relate to that time period of their life. Yes. And I thought it was so convincing the way that she told this story. Like, yeah. I felt, like, I knew people like this. Yeah. You know. Well, there's the whole thing, like, the quarter-life crisis. Yes. You know, like, it's kind of like that. Like, people get out, like, what do we, what do we do? And then, and then, to your point, like, they, and they're also getting out at that age at a time in the world where, like, the economy is uncertain, the world is more uncertain than more than ever. So it, and, and she's able to communicate those kind of like feelings and that tension like very well. Yeah, I would agree. So that's why I, I don't know. Like I, you know, Connell makes some bad decisions, and I, I don't know. Like, you know, I definitely don't think he's the villain of the book because yeah. I think I can at least I can relate to some of the things he's also working through when he's trying to like when he's making some of these mistakes. Yeah. You know? I was a little harsh on him when we discussed this book. I know. Actually. I remember that. That's why. That's why. Um, <laughs> And I called him a fuckboy, which Chris said he could edit that out. Um, <laughs> which he is a little bit, but I don't think that makes him a villain. And I think when you're that age, people make bad decisions. And that's the beauty of being 20. You have a long, long life ahead of you to figure it out and, and hopefully have a long life and figure it out and make it right. But I don't know that there is really a villain other than maybe social class or... Or her family, which I, I don't know how you felt about yeah. this, but I felt like they alluded to this abuse that she suffered from um, her brother, certainly, and I, I guess her mother, like, neglect. I felt like it was such an oblique refle- reference to that, except for the very last incident with her brother where then Connell comes and rescues her, basically, that I felt like I kind of struggled with that a little bit. Like, I wanted more, I wanted more substance there because I wanted to feel bad for Marianne because, like, oh, she's this victim and, like, whatever, and she just keeps putting herself in these bad situations, but I felt like, I'm like, I'm, like, not how bad is this abuse, but, like, what's really going on there? Like, I need some things to help me feel worse for her that are outside her locus of control, other than she just keeps choosing to sleep with this person who's clearly, like, not good for her. <laughs> like, what, what do you think? So you asked, like, whether Connell goes to New York. What do you think she does? That is a great question. I, I don't know, but I think, I mean, if, I'm sure she's just like, yes, you should, well, she says, she tells him to go, which I don't think, if, like, I was in that position, I don't think you can tell somebody to turn down an MFA at Columbia or wherever he was going. Um, but I think she, I don't know. I, I'm worried what she does. I don't know. I mean, she floats around with all these terrible guys. I hope she figures it out. But she seems anchorless by the end. At least with Connell, we see that he, his writing is going to be a way out for him. Like, he's going to. That's clearly, 
he's good at that. He's been recognized as good at, as good at that, and that will hopefully propel him forward. I don't know that she really has something, so that troubles me. What do you think? I don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, so sad. I feel like she doesn't have any... I don't know. Like, she doesn't get flushed out in that same way. Yeah. I think that's one of the interesting aspects of the ending is that it's easy to imagine Connell's ending because he has these very clear options, whereas Marianne does not, and it's unclear, yeah. like, what her motivating force is independent of Connell yeah. or other people, and that's a pretty sad... Yeah, I would agree. Her. It's kind of like you don't even think about what happens to her. You think about what happens to him, but... Like, I, until you asked, I don't know that I really gave it much thought. She probably gets, like, some office job, marries the wrong guy, ends up divorced with a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. Um, well, I did see that this is being adapted into a Hulu series. So, if you... Are there any famous... I looked, and it, it's, I guess, BBC is also, like, part of the production, and so it looked like a bunch of Irish... British actors, and I, of course, was like, I don't know any of these people, but they're probably very famous, and I just don't know. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Is it a miniseries? Or it's, I, I, it can't be an ongoing series. I, I think yeah. it's, I unless, think it's a miniseries. You find out what happens next. Yeah. You find I, out what happens Maybe there. they drag it out. I don't know, but it looked like, from what I saw, it's one season, 12 episodes. So um, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, that I'll have to steal a Hulu login <laughs> to watch the series. Yeah, I I would I would watch it. I think I, I think I'll curious. watch after being a, reading the book. But yeah. it's, it's an interesting I, choice because it's not like I said like it's, it's not like a super action. action. Yeah, I agree. And she's not a very visual writer. Like, there's a lot of internal life to these characters, but like you said, like not a huge amount of action. I don't think you can just show someone sitting in their bedroom. And yeah, I agree. Brooding. It's not like. <laughs> A lot of stuff going on. Well, how, how do you communicate? Like, there, there's a, it's challenging. It'll be challenging to communicate yeah. those internal emotions. And do you think there'll be like has. lots of like texting shots where they're writing stuff down? Uh, <laughs> actually, the more I think about this, is not going to be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> TBD. Yeah. Um, all right. So to conclude, would you recommend this book to someone else? Yes. Yes. I actually, like outside of the mercantile and my friends that I work with, <clears throat> I don't have a whole lot of friends that are readers like me. Um, so I don't have a lot of people, but my mother-in-law is a, is a okay. reader like me. So we will pass books back and forth. Nice. So I was hesitant to pass the, the Rooney books on to her yeah. because it's, she's, she's definitely not near being a millennial. And there are some interesting scenes and you know, sex scenes yeah, in the books. Some... So I hesitated, but I was like, you know what? She's like, she's a, she's a, she likes to read, so... I respect her enough so I, so to I, recommend... Yeah, so I respect her enough, so I passed them on to her. So I, yeah. I actually already recommended them to someone. Great. Good. Yeah. What about you, Joshua? I would highly recommend reading this book, as well as Conversation with Friends. I think even if you aren't into millennials, or you think there's some issue with the millennial generation, that's it reflects well how people live today and how they feel. Like you said, um, just getting into, like, just the mental illness and depression alone, like being more forthcoming yeah. with how you feel. It's, it's different than books written by young people in previous generations. Great. 
I also, I agree. I would recommend it. I have recommended it for all the reasons we've talked about. Um, but also, I think, as I mentioned previously, it's not that long. You can get through it. And it is sort of, it goes, it, and I don't want to say it's easy to read because I feel like that's like kind of a slam. It's not. But you, you can get into it and get through it. And it's not like there's a stumbling block. Um, so if, if you're not reading anything, like you can read this. Sure. Plus, it's apparently like the cool thing to talk about on social media that you're it's reading. Very all, all the stars, all the stars yes. are like to say they're reading Rooney when they're. If you want to be part of the zeitgeist, yeah. go like take a picture of yourself <laughs> reading this and post it on Instagram. Okay, what are you guys reading now? Before we go. Um, so I'm reading. I jump back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. So right now I'm reading nonfiction. I'm reading a book, um, Empire of the Summer Moon, which is oh. about. The Comanche Indian Tribe um, by S.C. Gwynn. Are you enjoying it? I am, yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's, I like jumping back and forth. It's an interesting uh, perspective on a time in history, which I know a decent amount about, but this is a, a, a discreet story that I don't know much about. So Great. I'm interested. What about you, Josh? Joshua? Not reading anything as exciting as Curtis. I'm reading a book on the history of antitrust law in the oh, U.S. Wow. called Goliath by Matt Stoller. It's a very good book that's about the political history of antitrust and how corporations took over America. Whoa, that sounds serious. It sounds like it's longer than uh, normal people. It's a little people. bit longer than <laughs> normal people. But it follows the whole socialist theme of normal people and conversations yeah. with friends. So Just like every other so there, there's, a theme, there's a theme here of Joshua's <laughs> <Right>. books. <laughs> that's good. Well, I'm reading Middlemarch right now, which is also significantly longer than normal people. And I was kind of afraid because I was like, there's no way I can finish this book. But I got into it, and I'm finding it to be just delightful. So that's a pleasant surprise because it's 780 pages. So if it was drudgery, that would be a long, long chore. So anyway, well, thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Chris, our uh, head producer, engineer extraordinaire. And also, thank you, Hillary, um, for kind of making this happen. Um, again, I'm Virginia. This is the Lit Review. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on The 12th Story. To make sure you catch every episode, subscribe through iTunes or SoundCloud, and your good words are better than any advertisement. If you like what you heard, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile LIB. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Special thanks to Virginia, Joshua, and Curtis. Look for another lit review soon. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. The literary center of Cincinnati, the Mercantile is a 184-year-old working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. The library organizes book discussion groups and writing workshops and welcomes thousands every year to its author talks, lectures, and other civic events. Harriet Beecher Stowe and Herman Melville, Colson Whitehead, and Zadie Smith all have spoken at Mercantile events. You belong here.